you know, I don't want this gap between how I think of myself as a good person and my values and how I'm actually living in the world. I want to bridge that gap. I want to close that and I want to live with integrity. by Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. My guest today is Rabbi David Jaffe. I'm so happy to welcome him. David is a rabbi, a social worker, and an educational consultant to many major Jewish institutions across North America. He has an award-winning book that is really worth uh, considering called Changing the World from the Inside Out, a Jewish approach to personal and social change. And out of the book, David has helped to create a project called Inside Out Wisdom and Action, which uh, aims to integrate spirituality and social change from a Jewish perspective. David, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Deborah. It's really great to be here. Um, I would love to begin with a little bit about your story and how you came to do the work that you are doing. Sure. Uh, you know, the work of integration is really important to me, integrating different parts of life, my life and the world. And there were two big things that happened to me as a young adult, 21, 22 year old, that really set me on this path. One was uh, I, I had a whole uh, politicization that happened when I was um, in college, right at the end of my time in college. I had been in a fraternity that I had distanced myself from it at this point, but it was, un you know, in some ways, like a lot of fraternities today, unfortunately, it was not a place where women were treated very well. And I had known that some things were happening there, but I never really made noise about it. And then finally, our uh, my senior year, a woman there um, pressed charges around a date rape, and uh, and and the university started looking into it. And um, unfortunately, the guys in the in the fraternity circled the wagons and didn't use this as an opportunity to really look inside and and change. And during that period of time, I was dating someone who was very active in feminist circles in uh, on the campus, and she was really trying to help me understand that I would say, look, these guys are doing these bad things, but they're basically good guys. And she was trying to really think, like, doesn't, no, it doesn't work that way. And one day, uh, people came to the fraternity and spray painted it, middle of the night, they spray painted rapists and murderers over mm. the fraternity and on the cars and everything. And... I was so angry about this because this was property damage and I was going to find out who did it because my girlfriend knew, I'm sure knew the people who did that. And so I went to her and I said, this is over the line. This is, this is property damage. Tell me who did it. And she said, it's so interesting. You're so much more upset about this than you were about the original incident that happened. And I just got so angry and I still couldn't really get it. So fast forward to the end of the semester, the fraternity is now kicked off campus for four years mm -hmm. because the university has decided this place has to go and be totally cleaned out. I think it was a good decision. I go into uh, my favorite restaurant and I'm wearing the, the hat of the fraternity and the waitress is being very uh, rude to me. Mm. And at the end of the meal, I say to her, why are you being so rude to me? And she said, you wearing that hat in here is as if you were Jewish and I wore a swastika hat into your restaurant. I was like, whoa, okay. Wow. <laughs> like, that really hit me. 
And I was able to like, whoa, if this is this bad, then something must be happening. And so I got on the phone. I called my now ex-girlfriend. She had gotten tired of me. But I called her up and I said, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to change. And she referred me to a local men's network. Mm. And I had a conversation. It was the first time in my life, I was 21, that I'd ever spoken to another man about toxic masculinity mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. ways of being ma a man in the society. And it was you know, really eye-opening. So that was really the beginning for me of deciding, you know, I don't want this gap between how I think of myself as a good person and my values and how I'm actually living in the world. I want to bridge that gap. I want to close that and I want to live with integrity. And that began my life as an activist uh, from that point on. Uh, I know that we'll spend time parsing Hebrew words, but I, for the first time, am wondering about the links between the word integration and the word integrity. Mm -hmm. It's the same word. I never really thought about it that way. Right, right. You know, I think of I think of the term of alignment. It's a different word, but uh, but it does seem. And you know, the Hebrew word I would say for these things yeah, yeah. is shlemut. Yes, yes, wholeness. Wholeness. Uh, wholeness. Yes. Yeah. Is, and you know, we say we call integrity in Hebrew. We say yashrut more, which is like kind of a yeah. you know uh, straight, but it's right. a line, an alignment. Is is kind of that term I think for integrity in Hebrew, right? Yashrut. Right. Um, but shlemut I think really captures it, which is from shalom, from whole, right. complete. Uh, the parts are integrated together. So I think they're right. I think there is a uh, connection of all these words. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I think that is so important. The, um, I mean, one of the passages from your book that I really love is when you are talking about the tension between unity and separation, you know, how to hold both, um, how to hold both in your hands in an open grasp. And I'm going to read you back to yourself a little bit. Um, to live fully means to engage this paradox that I was just describing about recognizing that there's a unity, but that we dwell in a place of separation and otherness. To live fully means to engage in this paradox and be at once completely oneself, unique and distinct, and at the same time cognizant that separation is only illusion and that we are all really connected. Um, and then to skip ahead a little bit, recognizing and acting on an awareness of the hidden unity and value of all creation while respecting the need for difference is key to building a more just and peaceful world. And there you have like the individual and the wider world and, and that paradox that we're, we're constantly trying to hold and bridge. Right, right. No, it is. Uh, I think and it is a paradox. And I've learned so much from uh, Dr. Parker Palmer and uh, his teachings about wholeness and paradox and amazing teacher in that yeah, area yeah. Um, and, and for me this is a really lived experience you know I um, you know at the same time as the thing was happening around the, the, the fraternity and my politicization I was also really opening up spiritually and uh, I had always been a spiritual kid I, I used to go out to the woods and talk to God when I was eight years old mm -hmm. nine years old not really knowing there was a name for that and uh, called Hitpo de Dut right. and Rabbi Nachman uh, has this uh, personal prayer practice. Which is exactly uh, what you just described, out in nature, right. by yourself, uh, exactly. speaking away. I didn't, know, I didn't know it was a thing, but uh, but I would go. So I, I was just saying it in terms of that, that a spiritual sense, a sense that there was something beyond the material world um, was always very alive for me. 
and uh, and then as an adolescent i went away from it and uh and and then a close friend of mine passed away uh from uh he had leukemia and mm. uh mm. six months he found out he had it six months later he was dead mm. and as a 20 year old that it just really shook me mm-hmm. and really opened up a whole search again for me of thinking what what's going on here like what is life about what does it mean that someone who is vital and here and now is gone there must be something beyond so that really started a, a search that was going on the same time this other stuff was happening as just kind of the political stuff um the uh the search so that led me to i was i i was trying to understand and what this pre- i sensed the presence that there was a presence here that loved me and that cared about me, uh, well, I wanted to know that presence more. And so when I wrote in the book, when I write in the book about that unity, like that's a real felt sense for me mm-hmm. that there is, that I'm in this huge web of a unity that is connecting me to everything. And in some ways, our, our mystical teachers and our Hasidic teachers talk about the Vekut, mm-hmm. which is the other great principle of Jewish spirituality. We have Shlemut, which is this wholeness, and then we have the Vekut. Uh, which is a unification, a clinging closeness, mm-hmm. and a real felt closeness to whatever, the spirit, God, each other. Um, that's, so that's a felt experience for me. And at the same time, I'm experiencing how separate we are and how separate I feel and isolated I feel and all these other things. And how can that be? How can those both be? So I was looking for answers. And um, I first turned to Kabbalah, to Jewish mysticism. Seemed like a good place to turn to. Unfortunately, I didn't have the background, the Jewish education to make sense of anything I was reading. <laughs> there were so many references to biblical stories and things I didn't know. So my cousin at the time was a very active uh, Buddhist, and she recommended that I check out Buddhism. And so I was invited to go to a chant, a sitting a chant, and uh, I went. And it's the first time ever that I'd been sitting and chanting with a group, and it was so beautiful and heart-opening, and I loved it. And so I go every week uh, to this day. Now I'm in New York, and I'm teaching high school in New York at this time, or my early 20s. And um, eventually they said to me, you know, David, uh, would you like to join our group? Mm. And I said, like, you know, I'm Jewish. I really can't, you know, join. They said, we have lots of Jews. It's okay. Mm, a lot of Jews, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh they kept, you know, I kept pushing them away. And then finally I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so he said, okay, we'll have, um, uh, we have a ceremony. We'll have an induction ceremony. Uh, it's on Friday night. I was living in New York. It was in union square and we'll all get together for dinner, uh, beforehand. And, uh, then we'll go over there and you'll have the sponsor. And the sponsor was one of the other Jewish guys. Mm. And then you'll do this thing. And then we'll put the shrine up in your, uh, in your apartment. Mm. So, okay. So we go to this place and um, it's packed. It's some, I don't know where it was in Union Square, but it's packed. And they say, okay, sit up front and the priest will come out. And when the priest comes out, he'll say three things in Korean and you um, say, I do. And then that's it. And then you're in. So I'm sitting up there uh, in front of the whole crowd and this priest comes out and all of a sudden I start having these flashbacks in my head. So the first flashback is my grandfather who was the president of his synagogue east midwood jewish center Mm -hmm, in brooklyn mm -hmm. and we used to go spend shabbos uh every week at their house and my brother and i would spy on him late at night when he would sit in his home office listening to real to real cantorial music Mm -hmm. with his head in his hand and you imagine that picture yeah that's going through my head 
uh, wall in front of this priest. And then the next picture is the rabbi, Rabbi Harry Halpern, who's one of the great conservative rabbis of the 20th century. He was my grandfather's good friend. He performed my bar mitzvah. And he was, I, I had this picture of him giving me the priestly blessing. Oh, wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm, sitting there and I'm saying, what am I doing here? Yeah. I have to get out of here. Yeah. And so I decide to fudge the I do's. I don't say I do. I get up. This guy comes to me. He wants to put the shrine up in my house afterwards. I say, don't call me. I'll call you. I got to get out of here. I stumble outside. I take the F train back to Brooklyn to my apartment. And my head is spinning. What is going on? Mm -hmm. So to make a long story short, the next week, I end up being in Jerusalem. Wow. (laughs) It just impelled you out of your life. Well, I um, I had a week break. I was teaching high school and it was the winter break. And my father invited me to come on a business trip with him to Israel. And so we end up at um, we end up at the Kotel uh-huh. at the Western Wall. From and one Friday to the next, you're like it's basically like that, you oh, know, holy it's like smokes. really like within like a week. Yeah. And it's a Thursday morning. We're at the Western Wall, and like no one's there. It's like December sometime, and my dad's standing there talking to me about the history of the wall and blah 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 all this stuff. And I hear this voice calling me, "Put your hand on the wall." So I reach my hand out and I put my hand on the wall. And this energy just goes through my body, is pumping through my body. And then it's like blissful. And then I pull my hand away and I have this sense of I'm home. Uh, And not necessarily that Jerusalem, but like I'm home. Judaism, this is my home. I'm here. And so that opened up my whole kind of Jewish path from that point. Um, and as you saw from the story, it's very uh, spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> like the, well, I want—I mean, I, I want to talk about that. Like you had, you had that Masora, you had that chain of tradition, you had that experience. What do you say to people who don't have that? In both parts of the story, like that, you always move through the world with this tremendous sense of. Mm-hmm. Of, of something that is larger than yourself, of, of a mm-hmm. connection to the divine. And so what do you say when you're talking with folks who are, have the same yearnings, have the same questions, but don't have either that orientation or experience um, of maybe grace, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. or right. that, I mean, I have a similar, not, not identical, but I grew up um, deeply immersed in a Jewish community and in a Jewish living that is radically different from my wife, who's a Jew by choice, you know? And mm-hmm. so, so how do you, how do you help people navigate that? Yeah, I, it's definitely grace, like hundred percent. I think it comes from outside. But I, I would say that um, I feel blessed that I've had those experiences, and I think they're really human experiences. Yeah. I think they're really human. And so in that, I think any human being in some way has access, and um, and I really believe we're all people of faith. You know, I was just at a, um, a rally uh, for education here in Massachusetts, and I was telling the teachers there at the rally, I said, if you're a teacher, you're a person of faith. Mm-hmm, like we mm-hmm. all have faith in faith in some some dimension. It might not be the way we think of God and whatever metaphor. Right. It might not be that particular metaphor. It might be something else. But I feel like this sense of connectedness into something bigger than ourselves is a human endowment that mm-hmm. everyone has access to. And our job, I feel like your job, my job as rabbis, spiritual teachers, is helping people uh, get access to that in the way that their heart can open to it. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so, so you went from there so, and so coming was, home. So I'll just say, yeah. So I had those two experiences all within a couple of years. Yeah, very and powerful. so I had this very, like, very real sense of the spirit and the world of the spirit and this connection, and it all connected and and God's love, and then this really real experience of brokenness and how men mistreat women and all kinds of mistreatment that's happening in the world. And what's up with that? Mm-hmm. Like, how, like, how can it be this God that's a God of love and God of connecting everything and people mistreating each other so much? So that that tension between those things has driven my life and driven my career and driven my interests since then to um, like, what's up? And, and where's the integration? Because I believe deeply there is and we need to manifest it more. Mm-hmm. And practice it, I think. Of course. Yeah, it's a yeah. pra- I think it's a practice. Yeah. Um, there's a teaching, uh, a short teaching about this that really, once I saw it for the first time, it spoke to me so deeply. Um, it's okay to share that now? Yeah, yeah be great. Um, this is from uh, Rabbi Shlomo Volbe. Rabbi Shlomo Volbe was one of the great Musar masters of the 20th, late 20th century. Musar is the school of Jewish applied ethics that is currently having a renaissance in uh, North America. And um, he, he teaches that um, in an essay called The Forces of Amity and, and Estrangement, he teaches that the whole world is connected, just like the ways we're talking about here. Like Everything's connected. Uh, humans are connected to the earth and physical life, to the animals, to plant life, to each other. He says, even there's really no such thing as races. Like We're actually all one human race. We're all connected. So what happens? Like What's the problem? Why is there so much uh, uh, cruelty and separation? What goes on? And then he says, he, he says the word for uh, cruelty in Hebrew is achzar. Mm-hmm. And he says that, quoting... An, uh, an earlier commentator that that word achzar the Hebrew root for it is chavzayin resh kizar kizar oh. to make someone like a stranger mm-hmm. and so to have cruelty you have to make others like strangers and you have to dehumanize them and you have to make yourself a stranger from yourself you have to make yourself a stranger from God that's the only way cruelty can get in and he says where does this come from he says we have this thing in us called the Yetzer Hara, which is sometimes translated as the inner adversary, the critical voice, this thing inside us that drives us to instant gratification. And as humans, we have that in us that that stokes this separation and estrangement from others. And so the practice, I think all spiritual practice, he's talking particularly about Musar, but I think all our spiritual practices are to remind us that of the essential connection. Because when we're really reminded and embodying that and feeling it, then we actually can't be cruel to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we wouldn't we wouldn't think of being cruel to each other. It is as if so, we are hurting ourselves. Yes, you, you're doing this. So why would you ever do that? So that's a whole practice. Then that, mm-hmm. like to live that way and to live with that consciousness and to work it. That's practice. You know, earlier when you were speaking, I wrote down the word empathy, that like at the end of the day, it's about um, interconnection and empathy and how profoundly counter, this is how deeply embedded into Jewish teaching and Jewish living it is and how countercultural it is, I think, to the larger secular society, which I think through a a whole bunch of practices and a whole bunch of strategies tries to... 
raise us up as as disconnected uh, in, in discreet individuals um, in a way that is, it's bad for our psyches, our hearts, our bodies, our our planet. Right. And it's just not true. You know, yeah. I mean, I think those are kind of the major the messages of capitalism or certain kind yeah. of way capitalism is ex- expressed in our society is exactly what you described. And, you know, thank God we have lots of great resources, spiritual resources. We have it in our own tradition, other spiritual traditions. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's secular traditions that are really uh, saying no to that and that that's just not true to who we are and we're destroying our planet and yeah. we need to actually live differently. And, yeah. and but we're only going to get there through practice. I, I strongly believe. So what's the we, we have um, not that much time. Um, like, is there one practice that you would raise up or share with? Uh, I know that you I mean, again, I want to recommend David's book, Changing the World from the Inside Out, which lays out a whole series of practices and part of the Inside Out Wisdom and Action Project is about curricula and 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 ways to bring this to life. But for our listeners, um, is there one practice you might want to raise up? Well, I'll cheat. I'll say two things. Okay, uh, for sure. One very general, and then one specific. Great. I'll give you a specific Great. Practice. Uh, but the very general is really the idea of the soul curriculum practice. S O S O U L. S O U, not S O L E. We're going against that. It's the soul S O U L curriculum that uh, is a phrase I think coined by my friend uh, Dr. Alan Marinus. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he might have coined that term. And he's another uh, major Bussar teacher. Yeah. And this idea that uh, we are souls and we are inhabiting a body for a certain amount of time on this earth. And we are each given, uh, we have our challenges that we're being given during life, like any curriculum. And we have certain traits that are central on that curriculum. And those could be trust, patience, courage, different things. We know ourselves. And to live a life of mastery in this world is understanding those those traits and what's on my soul curriculum. And we have a whole, within Jewish tradition, a whole pathway, uh, it's called Musar, about, um, about how do you work with those traits and how do you understand them when they're coming up and acting and how do you uh, manipulate them and, and, and raise them when they need to be or pull them back when not. So that's a whole, that's my long kind of mm-hmm. cheating answer mm-hmm. that I think that whole practice is essential. And Again, I describe it in my book. Other places right. people can can find out more about that. And then we've been we've done several episodes raising up Musar teachers because it's it is it's a lifetime practice. So there there are many many ways to explore it. So absolutely, an endorsement of the the larger general answer. Right now, for a specific practice that I love is this comes from the Hasidic tradition, which Hasidut is a is is uh, applied Jewish mysticism, kind of taking these ideas of God's oneness and closeness with God, all that, and putting it to a practical program that the every person you know can do. You don't have to be an esoteric mystic on top of a mountain somewhere. And so the my primary teacher in that in that pathway and my primary tradition is from Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, mm-hmm. uh, who was a great Hasidic master 200 years ago in the Ukraine. And one of his central teachings uh, was about joy and being able to really tap into a sense of joy. And that being, again, like closeness is a central state, so is joy. And doesn't mean that we're not sad, we're not brokenhearted, but underneath all that is a joy. And his practice for being able to tap into it was something he called finding the good points. And 
it, it can sound really simple, but it's not like when you to actually practice it. Um, the idea is that uh, when you're looking at yourself or looking at other people in the world and in a dark space, like just kind of seeing things are off and you feel disconnected or the people seem like they're off or, you know, you're critical of yourself. He says that that's a moment really search and find a good point. Search and find a good point in yourself. Let's talk about yourself for now. And and what's like what's something that you feel like you did or or the way you connect to someone or something about yourself that can really uplift you. And the key in these is it, it actually uplifts you. Some it does something to you, feel something move for you. And he says the same thing with others. That you see someone, you're critical of them. Like what's a good point? What is something you can find in them that you know is good? And in that good point, all that criticism, all that other stuff is not there anymore. It's just pure good. And he says that that's really God. Like when we can see those good points in others and ourselves, we're actually seeing God in ourselves. And that's a place of great joy and can really awaken that. And he says that the the prayer leader, you know, if of uh, a synagogue is called the Chazan, the prayer leader, he says that the practice for them to do is to look around at every person in the community that they're about to lead in prayer and see a good point in all of them. And then gather those good points together metaphorically, and those become song. And that mm. becomes a song that the leader sings. So I think whether actual real song or just metaphorically, this is a practice that can bring song to our hearts and can make our hearts sing when we really can see those and feel those good points. What I love about that, I mean, a repeated observation I think I make over the course of this podcast is what we put our attention on increases, mm. you know. MRIs show that our brain waves change when we when we shift from the negative to the positive. So what I love about that is I, I think I frequently I'm one of those rabbis who will frequently say in various settings that it's it's incumbent on us to remember that every individual is created but Salam Elohim in the image of God. And that is uh it's intended as a mandate, it's intended as a challenge, and it is sometimes very challenging. What I love about the good point is it's got to be doable. It might be hard, but the bar is lower even as it's potentially as transformative um, because you might have to you might have to work hard at it, but surely you can find a good point in yourself or in the person in front of you. Right. Right. Somewhere. Something. There has to be some point that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Can I want can I riff a little bit on what you were talking about with the soul curriculum, S-O-U-L and offer up um, just a little practice about the S-O-L-E, the, the homonym. Um, I learned this um, early on when I moved into my current role, which is as president of Reconstructing Judaism, and I travel a great deal. And um, so what's amazing about that is how connected I feel, and I get to travel around and meet amazing people everywhere, but it's also disconnecting and that I don't always know where I am and where I um, where I'm going. And I try, weather permitting, to go. It's a variation, I think, a little bit of the hippo to do that we we're talking about. I can't always do it in the woods, but I try to be outside it with my feet on the ground, um, feeling my feet, feeling the soles. Um, and that act of embodiment and connection. Um, which I learned from um, from this wonderful woman, Janet Leahy, who I met early on in my travels, just helps to, in the, in the kind of integration that you were talking about, helps to bring me out of my head, catch my body and my mind up with each other, 
and kind of um, wake, in, wake up my soul a little bit, like connect me um, and make, make me all of my resources more available to the work that I want to do. Mm, right on. So, That's a great, I love that practice. Yeah, it's really a helpful practice. Nice, nice. And, you know, it also picks up, it's not, I don't think you were going there with this, but it uh, picks up on, you know, holy ground in our, totally. in our Bible. We, uh, so you take off your shoes. Yeah, take off. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> you want to have that direct connection. To yeah. Your, well, that's right. the thing is I do, like feel like so much of how we live today is, is actually about, as I was saying, disconnecting us. So yeah. all the different ways that we can connect. So let's wind down with like one last set of reflections from you about like, um, Toward the larger end, you know, so all the personal practices and the soul curriculum and toward the larger end of social change. Right, right. Because, you know, I see as I lay out in the beginning of the book that I see social change is part of a process of manifesting this connection and God's you know, presence in this world as we do through social change. So it's all one big process. And um, the inner and the outer are, that's another one of these separations yeah. that is an artificial separation. And so you have like, you go to therapy over here and then you're like an activist over here and there's this se separate worlds. And so I think we keep want to move towards Shlemut and this wholeness. So I think for, um, I don't think we're going to get to the end of systemic change mm -hmm. and having a world where the earth is honored and uh, and where our children are honored and where every human being, you know, is treated with dignity that we really want to see unless we're also doing the inner work yeah. to be able to have that inner sense of dignity for ourselves and be doing that at an interpersonal level. As my, my friend and colleague, uh, Rabbi Lisa Goldstein, likes to talk about the fractal idea that these are all fractals and what's true on the inner, most inner level is going to be true in interpersonal is going to be true in family, communal, is going to be true societal. And so I, I don't think we're going to get to any one of those really without doing all of them. And so the interpersonal practice is trying to mirror on a small microcosmic level of the systemic change we're trying to make on a bigger level. Um, and uh, fortunately, there's more and more people I think are turned on to this yeah. and are really trying to live this way and do both it's not one or the other that's like our minds keep trying to go like one or the other and it's not it's really being engaged in both so that's how i see us uh you know ultimately getting to the kind of vision the kind of world that we're trying to create without the systemic racism and oppression and destruction of the environment that we're trying to get to i think it takes us back to the story about your fraternity when you were in college too and about the crisis of leadership that we see right mm -hmm. now in the wider world that even as i'm really keenly aware that as a rabbi or as president it's a role and that i can't confuse my personal self with that role that i'm well uh that all of us are well served when i track that it's a role i want to inhabit that role as fully as I possibly can with as much integrity, there's that word again, as I possibly can. And um, so that that they're really, that, that, that I, I want my private life, I want it to be private, but I, I if were it held up to scrutiny, I want it to be judged um, according to the public right. power that I'm, and, uh, and influence that I'm trying to exercise. Right, right. And those aren't separate things. Right. right. And that's the move is not to see these as uh, as separate things. Right. 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 
Oh, David, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you oh, great so to be much. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to thank my guest, Rabbi David Jaffe. Uh, I want to um, once again point you all to his really great book, Changing the World from the Inside Out, and steer you toward his website. You can find links to all of these on the program notes at Hashidenu dot fireside dot fm and you will find additional resources on ritualwell.org and reconstructingjudaism.org i'm rabbi deborah waxman and you've been listening to hashivenu jewish teachings on resilience mm-hmm.